record and cool we're recording so hello 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 everyone welcome back to another episode of geek vibes live interview happy new year it's the first of the not the first of the year the first uh geek vibes live interview of 2021 I'm your host, Tia, and I have with me director John Lee Brody. So you're our first 2021 interview. I'm honored. I'm honored. And was I your first review of the year, too? Because I know that you reviewed uh, the film we're about to talk about uh, just as yesterday. So am I the first review out of the gate, too? I think, yes. Yes, you were. Because the second was Cobra Kai season three. So (laughs) I just finished that, too. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, the process. <laughs> and we can't discuss any of it because not everybody's seen it at this point. But when we stop recording, we um, definitely you and I can geek out about, about it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, when you first approached us with your short film, Repress, which we'll talk about in a second, um, obviously we were super excited to just support creators. And then you reached out to me saying how geeky you were. And I have now discovered that probably in the five minutes that I talked to you off air, which is awesome. Um, I have to ask, like 2021 seems like it's going to be a great year for geeks, but 2020 kind of sucked for us because they had to cancel and push all these amazing films we were supposed Mm -hmm. to get. How did you feel with 2020 just for being a creator? Did you feel as if it was repressive not to use a pun there but (laughs) no let's use it (laughs) (laughs) did you feel like it was repressive at all to your creativity at first yeah you know it was um last year to rewind like a year ago like today I was prepping to direct a pilot for the CW and um so that I was in the middle of that so I would there was a lot of promise going into 2020 which I feel like that's the energy a lot of us have going into a new year but I felt like a lot of people were like let's close the book on this last decade it's a new decade it's a whole new thing like we're all ready to do it let's do this thing so i i definitely had that mentality along with everybody else and uh the pilot was ultimately shut down because there was some kind of you know the diplomatic thing is to say created differences uh (laughs) and it probably would have gotten shut down anyway it got shut down before covid happened but if covid would have shut it down anyway um regardless so that was the first blow i'm like okay well this is a bummer. I don't, this was going to be my second pilot. My first one I had done the previous year for DC Universe called DC Universe All-Star Games, oh, wow. which ran for six episodes on DC Universe before DC Universe went away, unfortunately. And <laughs> hopefully they'll uh, resurface that show sometime, maybe on HBO Max, but we'll see. But but uh, but I was going to be like, oh, now I'm on the path of the, the running joke I had was, well, I got my first pilot out of the gates, got picked up. Now I only, I only need 15 more in a row to match David Nutter <laughs> in previous years, which is like, it's like trying to match the Boston Celtics, you know, eight in a row in this day and age. It's almost like an impossible task. But so that was the first blow. And then COVID happened. And with all the uncertainty and the lack of clarity, because even the experts didn't really know what it was. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know at first if it was airborne. They didn't know, should we wear masks? There's all this stuff going on. So my first thing was, okay, well, how deadly is this thing? So I'm, I'm really putting the, the selfish side of me like away for a moment. Like, okay, let's, let's look at this thing as a whole. Like, what, what are we really dealing with here? And, uh, but then once we started getting a little bit of clarity in terms of, okay, it's going to take a year to get vaccines, it's going to blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, well, we might go this whole year without creating anything. I may not shoot a single frame of footage this year other than 
like stuff of my dog on my iPhone, (laughs) which might've become a feature film had I not found other creative outlets. So there was definitely that worry, but I'm trying to adopt this kind of new mentality, which is, you know, very much from Zen Buddhism of, you know, the life is only available in the current moment. So, you know, take from the current moment, don't speculate what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. Cause and I, and I apply that very much to my filmmaking because like, I don't know how this is going to be received. I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what I got to do. I got to keep my eyes on the prize here, do the work to use another Zen quote before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, no matter what, do the fundamental work and the rest will fall in line. So I always had to bring myself back to that, which wasn't always easy because, you know, anxieties can get the better of any of any of us, you know, we're all human, no matter who you are. Um, but then as things started to open up, they started deeming media as essential businesses. And on the side, I have a gaming channel that I created with my best friend, name drop, Freddie Prince Jr. That's um, awesome. <laughs> called, called Get Kid. Yeah. And we, the cornerstone of what we do is like tabletop RPGs, very much like a critical role. Um, but we do other avenues of RPG and at the time I was talking with uh, the people at Settlers of Catan, the, the board game, and I had an idea to do a virtual remote version of the board game and air that on our channel. And so that was my first kind of way of being creative. I was like, oh, well, this is a different kind of creation. I know it's not the narrative stuff that I would want to do, but I get to create the look of a show. I have full control. I got to figure out like, how am I going to make this exciting for someone who doesn't play Catan? And so that went from April all the way through the end of the year, um, you know, uh, 25 episodes worth. Macaulay Culkin stopped by a couple of times and Cody Walker and Andrea Brooks from Supergirl. You know, I just called my friends up and said, hey, I'm doing this thing. This is how it works. Do you want to come play? And um, so that was kind of keeping my sanity for the most part, because I knew that every Friday I could go into the studio and create something and uh, and and I think that the important thing is it may not have been what I imagined, but this is what you got. So maximize it. And uh, so that that was really the way I kind of kept my head level through this whole thing, because otherwise it's a slippery slope when you start overthinking what could happen or what you could have done and all that stuff. It is certainly interesting um, just for our perspective from Geek Fives Nation, I mean, our job essentially is to report on the news. Mm-hmm. And then, so after a while, all you're reporting on is this movie got pushed to this year, this got canceled because of this. And, but it's interesting because it has forced people to be really uniquely creative. And just as you said, you got to work on this channel, you got to at least uh, express yourself just through different means than you probably had thought you would have prior to everything going on. Yeah, hundred percent. And just a whole new appreciation because, you know, as they say, this too shall pass, you know, to use like the old, you know, saying, but it will, but at the same time, like going back to before, like this is what is in front of us right now. Just like you doing your work, you're doing your top 10 lists every Sunday. That's your creative outlet. You're going to do these reviews. That's your creative outlet. You know, it's some, in any way shape or form no one can stop us from creating other than ourselves you know i'm you know i'm the networks may be closed down for whatever reason the studios but we can still create and or if anything just practice you know i took the time to you know look at what is deficient in my directing repertoire what am i 
what, what are the things that I'm missing? And my competitive mindset coming from an athletic background as evidence from my space champ because I love <laughs> basketball, you know, in basketball, I used to be really weak in my left hand. So just, I would obsessively do everything I could to make sure that wasn't a weakness anymore. Mm. And, um, and that was my thing with my filmmaking. If I couldn't go out and create and do work, then I'm going to, you know, make sure I can get better so that when it's time to go back to work and they call my number, I'm not missing a beat where others may have the rust to shake off. I'm just like, no, I'm just ready to go. And, I, uh, I will say that I have, and I'm not going to name names because I have loved everyone who I've interviewed in 2020, but some people have um, maybe just due to the uh, position that they're in, haven't really had the ability to do anything creative in 2020. So as you said, you're a bit of it, an advantage there because you have at least been doing things in 2020 to keep your creativity up to speed. Yeah, it's like... Um... To use another athletic uh, <laughs> analogy, the Mamba mentality, you know, of course, from the late, great Kobe Bryant, you know, when you, if you watch his documentary Muse, he talks about just how he would shoot a thousand jump shots a day, just no matter what, even if it was at a, the park, you know, two blocks from his house, didn't have to be at the Lakers facility. Like he was going to figure out ways to improve his game. And it, it, that also meant watching game footage. And for me, it's like, I study films, I kind of reverse engineer, like, why is this film so powerful why do people gravitate towards it and then i'll watch it again and look at it from a technical aspect i said okay how did they do this how does this i'll look at horror films and be like why is this so scary you know where again i go i use basketball as an analogy a lot of times we focus on the past that leads to the score mm-hmm. where we should be focusing on what about the past before the past that leads to the score like what's the foundation leading to this so i i, I love to watch films and really break it down you go, oh, this is what it is. And oh, this this kind of sound design. And that's why, because sound registers this way. And, you know, that's that's really how I just kept my mind sharp. And, um, you know, it's like, even if like, if you're a basketball player and all you can do is shoot into trash cans, at least you're doing something. You're kind of keeping those motor skills there. And uh, I think that's an important thing too. You know, you may not be able to do the work, but, you know, Alan Iverson didn't like practice, but practice works so. exactly and you can see that sort of mentality in the film repressed which is kind of what started our uh working relationship here yeah. um and for those who are watching listening you can actually find that um online we did a review on it so you can find it at geekvibesnation.com um and i first of all, just love short films because it's amazing what people can do and the story they can tell in such a small um, time period. Like there's some short films I've watched that feel better than a two hour movie. So I'd love to know what is the genesis of Repress? Like how did this come to be? So let's, let's rewind a little bit back to 2019, towards the end of the year. I'm at my good friend, Rio Magdaleno's house, who ended up being the lead of Repressed. Mm-hmm. And Rio's kind of like what, what Leo DiCaprio is, the Scorsese, what Johnny Depp was, the Tim Burton, you know, what Tom Hanks was, the Steven Spielberg. Rio and I just, we click. And I, for me as a director, him as an actor, it's like, for whatever reason, we just click. And I'm always trying to do stuff with them. And I had this idea uh, after I was rewatching the show Smallville, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, <laughs> specifically season three, episode 19, Memoria, which was uh, directed by Miles Miller, who was one of the co-creators of Smallville. The whole premise of that is Lex 
is has a piece of his memory missing so he takes an, a, a part in an experimental treatment at Summerholt Institute mm. uh, to try to retrieve those but there's these nasty side effects that are making him experience other childhood repressed memories and causing like other problems in his everyday life so I'm like oh that's interesting and I'm like has anyone done this as a horror film or anything like that and I was like the closest would be Black Mirror which is why there's so many parallels to the, my short film to Black Mirror and then um, I make notes of that. So when I have ideas, I jot down on my notes. I'm like, this could be some, let me circle back to this. Then I randomly watched X-Men The Last Stand, which I've grown a lot. I, I like that movie. I know people dislike it, but I, I really liked it, especially at the time. I was like, oh, this yeah. is great. <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. And it's like, you almost couldn't say that. It's like, you were going to be ostracized at school if you were going to say taboo. Like, X-Men 3. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the whole notion that the Phoenix persona was there a part of Jean Grey the whole time, but Professor X put these mental blocks on her brain so that the Phoenix couldn't emerge until she hit that fight or flight moment at the end of X-Men 2. I'm not gonna say spoiler alert, like the movie's been out for 20 years. So yeah. if y'all haven't seen it, then if y'all don't know, if you know, you know, if you don't, now you do. Exactly. <laughs> so between those two, I said, well, that's interesting. What if someone was possessed and the whole rule of possession is once the spirit's gone, you don't remember being possessed. And I said, well, what if, what if a spirit could have gone dormant and that memory could have been repressed? And it's a whole, if a tree falls in the woods, no one's around, does it make a noise? Like if you don't remember this even happening, if there's these mental blocks, then this spirit can't get out. That was kind of my, um, my mindset towards it. And so that was my, the base of the idea. I said, well, that's interesting. What if someone, what if Lex did was possessed as a kid he went to try to retrieve repressed memories and then said he opened Pandora's box because this spirit was waiting to come back out and take over the body again. So that's where the, the base of the idea came from. And um, so then I said, okay, well, that's, that's cool. Like that, I got my kind of external elements. What's my through line? Why are people going to care that this is happening to this person? And, and of course I, you know, the mental health aspect, which is a personal one for me, you know, I've had a brother who, um, dealt with it and unfortunately he passed away five years ago so i'm sorry experiencing it firsthand thank you and uh me myself having anxiety and if i'm going to be open about it so i'd said that's the most relatable thing i feel like especially now um of trying to be like i want to like not feel this way what can i do and like in having done my fair amount of trauma therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy you know when you deal with trauma, you have to go through those kind of painful memories so that you can find the root of the problem. And so that's where, then I was like, okay, I have a story here. I have a narrative. Let me start putting this together. Mm-hmm. And um, then I told, so uh, back to Rio's house, I tell him about it. I'm like, hey, I have this idea for a short. And I gave him the whole pitch that I pretty much gave you. He's like, dude, that's so cool. Like, let's do that. I'm like, okay, cool. If you're on board, then all right, let's do this. Then of course, fast forward a few months, COVID happened. We don't know if we're able to do anything. So I had to kind of stick a pin in it for a while. And then as the city started to open up a little more, I started revisiting this idea. And I, you know, taking from the school of Robert Rodriguez when he made El Mariachi, Mm -hmm. he's like, I'm not going to write a script and then try to build around it. I'm going to think about what do I have access to? And my story can, you know, ultimately, uh, go along that. So I knew I had access to a soundstage because my friends own Evidence Film Studio Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. I knew that they had a setup that kind of looked like a therapist's office. I knew they had a white psych that could kind of have this cold, sterile kind of THX 113 kind of aesthetic for the exam room. 
And then I knew through lighting, we could turn that white psych into like a dark void, which is kind of like the further and insidious. And because um, my approach to, and I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit and we, you, if you got to reel me back in, just let me know. No, but no, it's great. <laughs> the reason I chose the dark void is because if this is a repressed memory, they shouldn't be fully formed. So that's why you're only seeing fragments of what's going on because little by little, you know, as, as the short goes on, you see it becomes a little more fully formed, but you're seeing one thing here, one thing here, because if you haven't seen these things in a long time or didn't even realize they existed, then it wouldn't have made sense if all of a sudden he's back in his childhood home and it's a big vivid memory. It's like, no, it should be these little things. And then that's what's jogging his memory as to like what really happened to him when he was a child. So that's kind of the long and short of it. I'm sure you have more questions because I know I jumped all over the place, but you know. Well, no, just- it's perfectly fine. I, I love that when uh, creators just go with it and you can tell how passionate they are about what they've put together. Um, I, I did say in my review that it did remind me of Black Mirror, which um, in my personal opinion, I, I think it's a compliment because that's a great show. Oh, I love that. And <laughs> the episode it reminded me of, I think is one of the best episodes in the series. So I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that, I was ecstatic when I read that part of your review because I said, that is such high praise. When you tell them, you know, when, if you're going to tell a creator that it reminds them of something like that i'm like well that's 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 high caliber stuff so i I think i did good (laughs) um and i was gonna ask about the main actor um i wasn't aware that he was a friend of yours because he did a really good job um and he obviously was the person that you thought of when you thought of this character yeah you know rio is a guy who he's known a lot in the industry as the funny guy and he's a very very funny person which if your first exposure to rio is this movie you might be shocked to see how funny he really is. Whereas people who know Rio, they were texting me going, I didn't know he could be so serious and so dramatic. And, <laughs> and that, that goes back to being a big misconception in the industry, which is people think it was, it was only after Goodwill Hunting that people realized Robin Williams was a great actor. I'm like, hold on, to move the way he does on camera, to have that comedic timing, that is the hardest thing I feel like as an actor to do on a consistent basis you know it wasn't until after Truman Show people were like oh Jim Carrey can really act I'm like okay well let's see you try to be Ace Ventura and maintain that for 90 minutes it's really tough to do and um I would also and I sorry to interject there but for Robin Williams uh to me one of his most serious movies was that movies uh that movie Awakenings uh with uh Robert De Niro so sad and it's like uh comedians have to be able to tap into this sort of darker place in order to really just be truly funny so I just wanted to kind of back you up on that yeah I I appreciate it I appreciate it and uh with Rio I just always when we first met he was working at you know this spin studio that I go to called sweat cycle so shout out sweat cycle (laughs) and uh, I knew nothing about him other than this guy I like this guy he's really cool and I was like, are you an actor, man? Cause you're like, you just got something to you. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he showed me as real. And, you know, I tried to help him out with certain things and try to put him to work when I could, but I just saw something in him. I'm like, I know he has the capability to do a serious role. And I know that he's not really getting those opportunities because unfortunately, especially in the studio system, once you're known as the funny guy, the dramatic guy or whatever, they're kind of sticking to that um it's very I call paint by number once you fit that number they're not going to really stray outside of it so I knew that he was capable and 
you know, part of it was that I wanted him to have an example of, Hey, I can do this. I can be dramatic. And, um, you know, I told him like, look, I don't know what's going to happen with this. At the end of the day, we'll have a really cool piece. Like I'll have a cool directorial piece and you'll have a cool dramatic piece. So, and that was the core of it, you know? And, um, and, and yeah, so I just, I just knew this was something really cool for him. And he just has this kind of relatable look, you know, like, you know, he's still like good looking dude. Like he reminds you of kind of a, kind of like a Chris Pratt kind of quality before Chris yeah. blew up, you know what I mean? Like Parks he, and Rec, uh, Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, it's like, I see a lot of kind of parallels with, um, with kind of the, their process and the way they carry their and themselves, um, as actors and as people, you know, and, um, so yeah, that was, that was the main kind of like through line of it. I was like, let's make something really cool for you, man. And, uh, and, and, and I feel like we did. I think so as well. So how long was the filming process for that? Cause even though it's a short um, movie, I'm sure that obviously it takes a lot longer than just nine minutes uh, or in, in some change to film that. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So for this one, usually I would only need, I've done things in short amount of time with quick turnarounds, turnarounds, but this was also times when there wasn't a pandemic and we didn't know if things were going to shut down. So the whole process of prep was probably two and a half months just, just planning and uh, with contingency plans of, well, if we shut down again, then this will be our rain date. Like this will be our rain delay date. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had to be a little more meticulous in that front just because of what was going on in the world. But part of the process was actually what led to me casting Dana who plays uh, Dr. Summerholt, which is the Smallville uh, Easter egg that <laughs> in the credits. I love the Easter eggs there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, the way I met her was, so the University of Southern California has a great program called Hollywood Health and Sciences, where it's a free service where if you ask them and you say, hey, I'm doing something, a movie about this medical condition, they connect you with an expert in that field who can consult you on what to do. And it's, I highly recommend any filmmaker out there if you're, or screenwriters, if you're trying to write something in the medical field and want to have credibility, USC's Hollywood Health and Sciences, it's 100% free and they will link you up with an expert uh, to consult. So I reached out to them right away. They linked me up with Dana. And after one conversation with Dana, I was like, God, I really like, like her voice. I, like she's giving me such good like, pieces of knowledge and, and everything. And I asked her, I said, would you want to be in this by any chance? Like I kind of pulled the Spielberg, like when Spielberg would just kind of pull in people <laughs> like because they kind of fit the bill. And she's like, you know, it's so crazy you asked because I had to take a year off from acting because I had my daughter. So mm-hmm. she was busy being a mom. Right. She's like, I was looking to get back into it and uh, I would love to do that. And so it all, all the chips just like really fell into place uh, really, really well there. And on top of it, I had, like an onset consultant to kind of correct me or correct anything if anything fell off. Mm. Um, and I, I, I did give her a lot of free reign too. I said, if you want to change the dialogue up, I'm not married to what's written. Uh, let's go with some that as if this is your patient. And if there's some that's not correct in terms of your process, let's talk about it. And to her credit, she did correct me on some things, you know, uh, there's a, there were in the original script, she was asking him yes or no questions. And she says, usually a therapist won't do that. They want the client to open up. So don't give them a yes or no question that gives them an out. And I said, oh, that's, that's interesting. So I said, what would you suggest uh, you would ask here? And that's what in, this, in the movie where she says, what do you think caused your father's sadness? 
or was originally, do you think your dad was sad? Mm-hmm. And he just said, yeah, I guess so. But she's like, if you open it up where he has to answer, then you're starting to see the wounds a little more. So to Dana's credit, you know, the, the story got so much better because of her, her expertise. That's awesome. You can tell in certain projects where they haven't done their research and things sound just so generic. And so for you to get that authenticity is really awesome. Um, What has been the reception so far of Repressed? So far, it's been really positive. You know, um, you know, I'm uh, I like present company included. And like a lot of my friends are reaching out going, whoa, dude, this is this I didn't know, like, it's another side of my kind of creativity that a lot of people haven't seen either. And they're like, dude, I was not, I did not expect that. You know, this is so cool. Like your camera moves. And like, was that a Ghostbusters proton pack sound effect? I said, yes, it was. When she turns it on, it was a subtle Ghostbusters Easter egg. So that very much was that. And um, yeah, luckily very positive. And, uh, you know, and I, a couple people said to me like, Hey, I would, maybe would have done this and this. And I'm like, yeah, I, lo- I love that too. And even myself, I see things I could have improved on or I can improve on when I do it again, but very fortunate for me, the reception has been very positive. That's awesome. Um, and again, it's so funny you say the Ghostbusters thing, because uh, for those who are listening and watching before John and I even did this call, he said to me, there's a lot of geekiness to my short film. And it's like, I could just tell it's I love it. Um, I was going to ask, are there any plans to kind of extend repressed, maybe turn it into a more full length movie or anything like that? Or for right now, do you think that it just is good living as the short film that it is? Well, I'll answer that in two parts. Uh, The answer to the first part is yes, I do have a feature film concept that uh, my co-writer, Charlie Magdaleno, who's actually Rio's brother. So I really (laughs) kept in the fam there because Charlie's a, a very gifted writer as well. Uh, we do have a concept in terms of how this could be a full-length feature and something that could possibly live uh, on like a shutter or like through Blumhouse, you know, oh. you know, keep it really minimal, you know, really, we won't stray too far outside of what what's going on. I think the meat and the potatoes is when he's in, I just call it the void, you know, uh, for now, like when he's accessing those repressed memories and, you know, and all these things. And there is kind of a twist that I'm toying with in terms of, you know, what's, you know, that to go back to, we were talking about Cobra Kai before we came on, you know, when Miyagi-Do says not everything's what it seems, that's really going to be the through line of what this, mm. um, uh, the feature film would be. So you're just always kind of guessing. And um, so, yeah, I definitely always have that ambition. That was as my, when I had my producer hat on, I am thinking about, oh yeah, this could be play out as if it's the first scene of a feature film, mm. you know, and then you kind of backtrack it to how we got there. If you want to do a non-linear kind of memento, put the puzzle pieces together sort of thing. So for sure. But if it only lives as a short film, I'll, I'll be happy with it. Cause uh, we put a lot into it and then, you know, it was a definite collective effort. And, um, and I'll always have that as a directing sample because me as I'm trying to make that next step of doing episodic television, you know, and doing full, more feature films, Every showrunner, every producer told me, well, you got to have like a, a really solid short film that can show that you can really direct. So I know at the very least I have that. And um, so I'm very proud of that. And going back to how long the process was, the actual shoot itself was like one, maybe 10 hour day oh, okay. and uh, very minimal crew is myself, my DP Mikey, my sound mixer, Kara, and my makeup artist, Maggie. 
So that was our crew. And, um, and then it was Rio and Dana, and they were only in scenes where they were socially distanced apart. And when they had to be close, I was like, oh, this is great. She's a doctor. So she would have to be in a mask and wear gloves. So that's I how I was wondering that when she was wearing the mask, I was like, oh, that's perfect. I wonder if that's done kind of as a double, like she's a doctor, but also for COVID. That's great. That's really yeah. working it in there, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And also that serves the story too, because I don't, I purposely didn't want to show her full face because there, you want to have some mystery behind her. Cause it's like, he's all he's buying into this treatment but like we don't know anything about this doctor you know and i think showing her face and i told this to dana before she said officially said yes i'm like just fyi the way i picture it is i don't think we ever see you we kind of hear you um and may and I, at one point i thought it was going to be a kind of looney tunes where the adults are cut off from here uh. you know we never see her like very kind of et that's my kind of you know spielberg's a big foundation of kind of my inspiration but um I was like, there's something about not really seeing your full face and not knowing anything about you, but this guy is opening up to you and also the audience that's watching, right. you know? So I want people to wonder about her a little bit. And if you watch closely in the first scene, her chair is a little higher than the couch. So she's always kind of got that authority figure. And then when he's on the exam table, she's standing up and he's sitting down and um, just to always feel like that's his mentality. He feels like a child and he's really outsized in this world. So like it was a really subtle kind of thing I wanted to do, but you know, no one really notices until I pointed out, they go, Oh yeah, I kind of, but I think subliminally we know when someone's physically taller or physically kind of imposing, there's that part of you that's kind of feels like the little kid at school when you're sitting at your desk and the teacher standing up. So I wanted to kind of have that kind of feel to their whole dynamic. I love that. I love the little ins and outs. So, I mean, it's great, you know, to, as you said, you either have this as uh, an example in your portfolio, or it could turn into something more. Um, so you've mostly done directing projects. You've been a producer, writer. I do also see though, that you do have acting credits. I looked at your IMDb. Uh, is that something that you'd like to pursue more? Or do you find in your head that you really see yourself as a director acting is always something I want to do you know it's something that's fun but you know if I'm going to be real here unfortunately for you know Asian American males the you know kind of slim pickings with certain things and especially at the studio level they have a certain idea unfortunately of how an Asian American male is supposed to be portrayed on television or on t or on movies and a lot of times I don't fit that mold and they've tried to make me fit that mold. But I said, look, I'm not going to do this, you know, to quote one of the greatest Asian Americans ever lived, Bruce Lee. Like, I'm going to honestly express myself through my art. I'm not going to do this and pander to what you think I should be doing, you know. And for the early part of my career, I did try to do that. And it just I felt like I suffered for it. I didn't get many fulfillment out of it. But I, I would say 90% directing, 10% acting, but I do pop up once in a while and I do have a movie I will be in come this year. Can you uh, tell us? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a Malignant, uh, James Wan's new oh. horror film that's going to be coming out. And Oh, that's great hooking up with him. He's such a fantastic director. Well, he's he's actually like, he's my mentor. He's like my, like, uh, my brother. You know, I've known him for 10 years. That's and amazing. when we first met, it was through my mutual friend. This is how it's all connected. You know, it's through my mutual friend, Courtney Peldon. Um, we was at her engagement party and Courtney is now Rio's talent agent actually which is kind of funny how that's all intertwined but 
James, for whatever reason, we hit it off right away. You know, we were the only Asian Asians at that party. So I went out to him going, Hey, it's just you and me, man. So we gotta, we gotta stick together. And, and I didn't realize he was the guy who did saw. So I just see this, you know, five foot six Chinese dude with an Australian accent. And I was like, what, what's, what's going on? It's like, that's a great Australian accent. It's like, I was like, I know I get them all the time. It was like, look, I grew up in Melbourne, but it's like, I was born in Malaysia, but this is how I talk. And I was like, whatever you got to do to commit to the whatever, man. I was like, I, I was just, <laughs> but, and he's cracking up and I'm like, listen, man, I'm, I'm half Jewish, but I'm not wearing yarmulkes or anything. You know, I was like, come on, let's just, 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 just kind of, let's just chill here. All right. And he's cracking up and, and we've been really good friends ever since. And when I had expressed to him maybe eight years ago that I wanted to make the transition to directing, he was very generously said, well, if, if you need anything, let me know. If, if, if I can help out, let me know. And throughout the years, he would watch rough cuts of mine. He would watch things I do and give his two cents on, you know, it's like, you might want to try this or da, da, da. You know, he's very generous with his knowledge. And I actually asked him about a couple things for repress because if I'm going to do a horror short, you should ask one of the masters at disaster uh, <laughs> for some pointers. And to his credit and to his generosity, he gave me this very detailed answer when I was asking about the exorcism mm -hmm. and the conjuring. And he really walked me through how he did it and why he did it. And that led to me in the film, you see that it's in silhouette. You never really see young Chris, you know, you never really see the priest. Again, it's, he's cut off from like the chest up. And, um, you know, where he used like this, uh, he put this bed sheet over the actress in The Conjuring and then let the kind of makeup, you know, kind of spook mm -hmm. through it to make it really scary because he didn't want to rip off The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. And I thought about doing the bed sheet thing too, but I said, well, I don't want to blatantly rip off James. And I told him that. So I said, I think I'm going to do like a dark silhouette, really backlight, just make this, this thing look really kind of menacing. And he's like, I like that. I, he said, go with that. So, um, so yeah, James is the reason I have worked at all as an actor in the last five years. He gave me a cameo in Furious 7. I was supposed to be in Insidious 2, but I actually wasn't available. Mm -hmm. uh, then he says, I turned him down. I, I was like, I don't <laughs> think it, that's how it went. I don't think it, that's how it went down. I just, unfortunately, it didn't line up. Uh, I didn't turn you down. <laughs> but I was like, you could have shot around me. Nah, but, uh, <laughs> and uh, with Malignant, I was late in kind of like October, no, 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 no. August, September of 2019, I, I'm seeing all these announcements for Mortal Kombat and everything and like casting announcements, you know what I'm saying? Like Joseph Taslin, Louis Tan, all these, all, I was like, okay, cool, right on. Like Asian brothers are working, I'm, I'm with that. So I text James as a joke and I said, yo, I might have a shot at acting again because you're putting all of them to work and they're now unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> he texts me back right away and goes, dude, I was actually just talking about you. I said, what's up? He's like, I'm about to shoot this new movie. I want you to play this part. Like, are you, are you, are you down? I said, sure. Yeah. Okay. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's how it had, he offered me the role of malignant. And it's just a couple scenes with the lead roles. You know, I'm not a greedy person. I had the time of my life doing it, but it's, he's like, look, it's good. It's going to be this much these days. And I think it'd be really cool. And I said, whatever you need, man. So yeah, I got the offer through text message. And then my rep emailed me the next day going, you have an offer, a direct offer for a James Wan movie. I was like, oh yeah, I know. I probably should have told you. I was gonna <laughs> like, I already know. I was like, but I can act surprised. You know? <laughs> That's great. That's just so awesome to find out because when I 
me and my associates at Geek Fives and we talk about the people who are revolutionizing horror, it's James Wan, Jordan Peele, John Krasinski. I mean, people who are really just breathing, say, new life into the horror genre. And me personally, I'm actually a big weenie when it comes to horror, but I like good stories. So I'll put up with, say, the scariness for the sake of that. And that's what those directors that I just mentioned uh, do. Um, you mentioned before how sometimes it can be difficult being a Asian American man getting some roles in Hollywood. I think I just saw recently that there was a lot of controversy with Minari um, going into the foreign, foreign film category. Um, but we do have, say, Shang-Chi coming up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is that exciting to hope that that sort of movie will open up more for Asian Americans in Hollywood. Absolutely, because, you know, and th this, this goes into another thing I was just talking about with a good friend of mine when, when Mulan was being released and there was already all this really negative press about it before it even was officially on Disney Plus. And I, and I put a post on my Facebook and I said, look, I'm, I'm buying this thing no matter what. You know why? Because if we do this, you know, to, to quote Rudyard Kipling, the strength of the wolf is the pack, strength of the pack is the wolf. If we individually do this and come together and support this movie financially, it'll open up other opportunities. You know, was I happy with the film? Well, look, I'm not, I don't want to, I wasn't completely happy with it because I don't like that they didn't have one Asian American writer of the four writers they had. So I'll just say that, but no matter what, I will support Asian American lead, you know, because we don't get those um, opportunities. You know, it's, it's very much, if you get it, great. If not, we're moving on. You're just, that's all they really need to say, we're not going to go down this path again. So I hope that Shang-Chi makes a billion dollars and can shut up a lot of those executives. And uh, I hope it does great things for Simu, who I've actually known for a couple of years now. Once upon a time, he was attached to a script of mine before. Oh, wow. You know up. everyone, yeah. apparently. <laughs> In the Asian American community, we all kind of know each other. Maybe we've never met, but for the most part, names are kind of known uh, throughout. And uh, I was really happy for Simu when he got it. And uh, I, I hope it does great things for him. I hope it opens up opportunities for himself, but also other Asian Americans, males who are trying to be leading roles who, and who aren't playing delivery drivers or yeah. uh, a Kung Fu guy who's out for honor, like every 90s Asian male character. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, so little by little. I, so yeah, Shang-Chi, I'm very excited for because of what that could possibly open doors to. And, you know, I didn't, it wasn't a comic that I was really huge into. I don't think anyone, it wasn't really a mainstream comic, but I was, cause I was like, well, this is Bruce Lee with superpowers and Naruto's multiplicity kind of power. Like, yeah, I can get with that. That's cool. So I'm, I'm curious to see where, how they adapt that to the big screen and what kind of story they do. But um yeah, so it's just like, it's it's tough, but you, I think at the end of the day, we got to just support. And um, luckily when I did that Facebook post, a lot of people jumped on and said, you know what, I like that. Let's support this movie because, you know, at one point it would have been impossible to make Black Panther, yeah. you know, you know, and, it, and I'm sure they tried for years and years, but the rallying of the Black community and, you know, people of color in general supporting these movies, that's what's going to keep those doors open a little, little bit more because, um if we're not supporting each other, then what's the point? That's my philosophy. Not everybody believes that, unfortunately. Yeah. But if more people adopted that mentality, then the arts will be better and the business will be better. You know, there's a, 
there's an old kind of Zen kind of quote of if someone draws a circle, if my brothers draw a circle and exclude me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw a bigger circle that includes me and them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's the mentality I think we have to do. It's like, they may be shutting us out here. And the first instinct is, well, we'll make our own. We'll make Asian Hollywood and shut them out where I'm like, well, no, no, we can, I'm just going to cast a wider net and let them know we can all coexist in this space, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm just one man, but at the same time, hopefully others catch on and little by, like I said, little by little, the collective will, I think, you know, triumph. I, I was excited when they first announced uh, Shang-Chi, not because I didn't know the character at all. I didn't admittedly even know who Simu was at all, but I was excited because I was telling my friend when we did the top 10 last week where I was like, Marvel has this greatness about just bringing actors who have no idea who they are to the mainstream and make you really like them. Uh, There was an article that came out a decade ago when Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston were cast for Thor. And I think it was by Variety and it literally said Marvel cast two unknowns Mm -hmm. for, you know, and now they're like some of the biggest actors ever. So I'm like, if they could do that for them, they can certainly do it for Simu. And that's what's exciting about it. And it's exciting that they'll finally uh, portray the Mandarin correctly after that kind of debacle in Iron Man 3. Yeah, that whole, I was like, okay. And then then when it was turned out to be the decoy, I'm like, all right, I like that idea. But the execution of that, I was like, I don't know, I'm not, nah. But there was that that one shot. uh, Did you ever watch it when they're in the prison and the real Mandarin shows up? I actually like that because I'm a big fan of Scoot McNary. So anything that like, and he's the guy who played uh, Jackson Norris, the one interviewing the fake Mandarin. Mm -hmm. So that's why I kind of liked it. And that to me i'm like all right well why did that not go anywhere the the one shot you know i mean that was in back in 2014 and now it's been gosh like six seven years since that <laughs> it didn't yeah. go anywhere you know i was like well, how come at the end fin fang foom didn't show up to like show that he really means business so i was like come on i was like you had a golden opportunity there they had an opportunity they just didn't <laughs> go with it but um so you know repressed was really amazing i suggest for anyone who's listening and watching this to definitely check it out on youtube um is there anywhere else that we can find it or for right now do you think youtube is like the best place to watch it i would say youtube's probably the best place it is also on vimeo because i don't know what it takes to become their staff pick on vimeo but i'm like well and also from a technical standpoint this is a kind of a an fyi to any aspiring filmmakers vimeo has they have a better capability of processing like high quality footage. So if you want to show footage when to people who are very keen on, oh, this is 4K versus 1080p, you should use Vimeo because their compression kind of software, internal software is a lot better for showcasing your your video at the highest quality. But to reach a broader audience, you, more people are searching YouTube than Vimeo. So um, so but yeah, for the most part, go to the YouTube link unless you're unless you're one of the curators at Vimeo. I mean. Can you consider me for your stat pick? Because I've been trying for years and I felt like this was my shot. So, uh, but, um, but yeah, that's it for now. And um, hopefully we have a feature and you know what I'll, I'll say right here, if we have a feature, then I'm coming to you to, to talk about exclusives first, you know? So. I love hearing that. John, it's been amazing speaking with you. I've had a lot of fun. I hope everyone checks out and I hope 2021 is your year. I hope all of those pilots that didn't get picked up end up getting picked up. And I really hope that for you. 
well, you're going to be a part of the adventure with me now that we're friends. And, you know, it's, I, I you know, you're going to be first to know uh, before it hits the trades. I'll just tell you that right now and on the record while we're still. Well, recording. if if you're ever in New York and you need someone to play a barista, I'll stand in the back with the cup of coffee, like handing it to someone. <laughs> you're hired. I love that stuff. I love putting friends in movies. I love those little kind of, East, those kind of, IMDb, I call them IMDb trivia moments. Yeah. I can say, FYI, that was Tia who did the interview uh, John for the repressed short film, you know, like I love that stuff. So you're hired for sure. Awesome. Yes. You guys heard it first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, John. Happy new year again. And for those who are listening and watching, thank you for checking out this latest episode of geek vibes live interview. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you.